Lord, thank you for this day and for the goodness of Christ to us. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Now take the word of God and make application to our hearts and lives by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Thanksgiving is the overflow of a grateful heart that is feasting on the mercies of the Lord, and it is a safeguard for those who follow Christ. It's an overflow and a safeguard. Let me read a few verses in the book of Colossians. In the New Testament, Colossians 1, verse 11 and following, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So thanksgiving here, the scripture says, is, is permeated by the fact that God, the Father, has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the light by delivering us from darkness and taking us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So I am thankful because God has qualified me to share in the inheritance. I'm thankful because God opened my eyes to see the beauty of Christ and the depth of my sin, and he drew me unto himself. And he continues this theme of thanksgiving in chapter 2. He says this in verses 6 and following. See to it, or therefore, as just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, abounding, overflowing with thanksgiving. And then he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and into deceit according to human tradition. So, so I, I just back up and I say that abounding in thanksgiving is one way that I'm not captivated by empty philosophy and deceit that depends upon human tradition and not the reality of God. So it's a safeguard for my soul. And then chapter 3, he says, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ Verse 15, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So, so let the peace of Christ rule. Be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. Thankfulness. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So once again, thanksgiving is the overflow of a heart that's gladdened by the goodness of the Lord. And it's a safeguard for my soul. So, so in the shorter catechism, the question is, what is prayer? And the answer is, prayer is the lifting up of our desires to the Lord in accordance with His Word in the name of Jesus, with the confession of our sins, with thankful acknowledgement of all of His mercies. Thankful acknowledgement. Thanksgiving is the overflow of the heart. So Thanksgiving is not social nicety. Thanksgiving is the overflow of the heart. That's a worship. Uh, we have in our own part of the world something called Southern hospitality, where we say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
it's not just germane to our area. There's something called Minnesota niceness. In fact, there's a book called Minnesota Niceness. And it means to be courteous and reserved and mild-mannered and self-effacing. They say in Minnesota that they wave you through stop signs. It's a four-way stop, and they're there first. They help you shovel the snow off of your driveway. Minnesota Niceness. The story goes that a man moved from Minnesota to Florida. And he was interviewing for a job, and he was in the final interview, he was about to get the job, and the head of the HR department said, well, why, why did you move from Minnesota to Florida? He said, well, to be bluntly honest, I'm just tired of the cold. It's cold up there nine months out of the year. He said, I understand that. He said, eh. in addition to that, everybody in Minnesota is either a lazy liar or plays ice hockey. And the guy goes, my wife is from Minnesota. And the guy said, what team does she play for? You know, so... You have to be quick on your feet as well. But anyway, so Thanksgiving is not niceness or hospitality, even though those things are fine. Thanksgiving in the Scripture is the overflow of a heart that's been captured by the grace and goodness of God. So as I, as I think about that, I'm going to go to passage in Proverbs that addresses this issue. How do we continually feast on the goodness of the Lord in such a way that we're a thankful people? How do we continually feast upon the goodness of the Lord in such a way that we're thankful people? Just kind of a Thanksgiving thought. So Proverbs chapter 15, verses 12 and following, 12 to 17, listen. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. So I'm, I'm suggesting that the central thought of this little statement, this few verses is verse 15, that all the days the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. And my, my question is, I look at the text, is how do I have a continual feast of gladness? How do I have a continual feast of being thankful before the Lord? And I think we find some clues in the text. I want to suggest four things in this text. Four statements. Number one, the way I have a continual feast is I go to the wise. I go to the wise. Look at verse 12. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. So a, a scoffer is someone who belittles the character of God, belittles the standards of God, mocks God, mocks the reality of God. He says there's no truth, there's nothing to live for, there's nothing to die for, there's, nothing, there's just nothingness and void you just live for today. And so oh, a scoffer, the scripture says here, does not like to be reproved, but a wise man or, or another man goes to the wise. Proverbs 9 verse 8 says, do not rebuke a scoffer or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. You correct a wise man, he'll love you. You, you correct a scoffer, he'll despise you. Proverbs 1 verse 22 says, 
How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Scoffers delight in their scoffing and they hate knowledge. Verse 23, if you turn to my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you and will make my words known to you. So, so the scoffer hates to be corrected, but the man who is a man who is looking for joy and hope runs to the wise. And as I, as I read that, I say to myself, do I, do I run to the wise? Do, do I run to people whose lives speak of Christ and whose conversation speaks of Christ? Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Do, do, do I seek after the wise? Do I avail myself of opportunities to walk with wise men and women who have the things of Christ upon their heart? Do, do I go to people who know the Lord and say, please correct me when I'm wrong. Please tell me when I'm, when I'm out of bounds. Do I value the glorious concept of true community in Christ? I was reading recently about a report that was released by a group called the uh, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, headed by one of the leaders of the group was a guy that teaches at MIT, but they go to the 34 most developed nations in the Western world and Latin America, and they do a survey, and this is the first question after their study, is the United States number one? Answer, in economics, absolutely. The United States is still comfortably the largest global economy with a GDP of $17 trillion. China is second with a GDP of $10 trillion, so 17 and 10. The U.S. has an average after-tax household income of $41,000 plus, the highest of any of the 34 nations that were surveyed, and considerably more than the median average of $27,600. All five of the world's largest companies by market capitalization, Apple, Microsoft, Exxon, Berkshire Hathaway, and Google are American. But... In the overall happiness index, the United States placed 15 out of 34. We dropped three places in the last year. And here's what they say, their report. Studies have found that in general, the golden triangle of happiness consists in financial security and economic viability, which we're strong in, a sense of purpose in life and strong personal relationships and social connections. Quote, people are social creatures and get pleasure from spending time with other people. To be happier, Americans should work a little less, spend more time with friends and family, and become more deeply engaged in organizations and their communities, close quote. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. That's interesting. Number one, economically, but overall, as far as the happiness index, number 15. Because in many places, people do not understand the importance of having a life purpose and the importance of community. We were made for relationship. We say we were made for relationship because we're made in the image of God, and God is triune. 
period. And so, so if I'm to be wise, church, if I'm to have a spirit of worship and thankfulness, I've got to run to the wise. I've got to run to people who have the things of God upon their heart. I've got to say to them, speak to me, walk with me, laugh with me, weep with me. Let's have community. And that's what the church is all about. Do you have community? The second thing I've got to do is I've got to understand the, the absolute devastation of sin. I've got to see sin for what it really is. That it is putrid, that, that it is darkness, that it does rob me, that sin always overpromises and underdelivers, that sin operates on a diminishing return, that sin is cancerous, gangrene, and it is a horrid thing. And I've got to be convinced of that, that God is light and sin is, 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 is putrid. So I, I get that from, from two verses in this passage, and that is verse 13 that says this. By, by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Now, I know there's a sorrow of heart that comes when life is difficult. But, but I think in the context here, he's speaking about a, a sorrow of heart that is in contradistinction to pursuing wisdom. A sorrow of heart that is in contradistinction to having a, a cheerful face and a glad heart. A sorrowful heart because we've allowed sin to creep into our spirit. Then he says again in chapter 15, verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil. But the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. So all the days of the afflicted are evil. See, I ask myself, do, do I see sin as evil and putrid and, and full of, of, of cancer? And do I? Do, do I see that? Do I understand? Am I watchful? Am I aware? Am I, do I understand warfare? Do I understand the horrid returns of sin? And I think of the statement in Second Timothy, Second Peter, Second Peter, New Testament. Peter's talking about people who have who have heard the gospel and given verbal assent to the gospel. Their lives have never really been changed. And this is what he says. He says, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through their knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I would say supposedly. And they are again entangled in them and they're overcome. The last state has become far worse than the first. It would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than to having known it to turn back from the holy commandment given to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. Quote, the dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And so, so he says, you know, when people who profess to know the way go back and abandon it, it's like a dog going back to its vomit or a pig wallowing in the mud. You know, it's a putrid thing. Now, in this culture, I love dogs. But in this culture, dogs were not pets. They were scavengers. So a dog returning to its vomit and a pig wallowing in the mire was a horrific Horrific word picture. And do, do I see sin like that? Now, many of us have just returned from spending time with family. All families are dysfunctional because we're sinners. There's a love dysfunction in every family. So don't think you're unique. You know, we all have that uncle or that aunt or whatever. But I'll, you know, you get to be old, you sit around, and you sit back, and you watch family systems. And you, I sit back, and I watch my family, and I see, I, see, I see the inroads of sin, and it breaks my heart. 
I, I see someone who's not speaking to their only child. I, I see a father who's abandoned his daughter, literally abandoned. I see a family who has struggled for four decades, five decades, because a young mother of 32 committed suicide with three small children. And the devastation of that is still going on. I, I see parts of a family that deal with the ravages of alcohol abuse. And I hate sin. I, I hate sin. And, and so I, I say to you that, that Christ came to destroy the cycle of dysfunction in your home. He came to set the prisoner free. But before you can be set free, you've got to realize you're a prisoner. He came to give sight to the blind, but before you can receive sight, you've got to realize you're blind. He came to give strength to the lame, but before you can walk, you've got to realize that you're lame. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, so uh, ask God by His Holy Spirit, through the power of Jesus, to break into your lives and your homes. Tell a story, wrote one of the best books I've ever read called Anna Karenina, and it starts with this sentence that has been quoted time after time, where he says, happy families are all alike, and every unhappy family is unlike in its own way. Happy families are all alike because you have grace and forgiveness and patience and forbearance and you have laughter and joy and they don't keep score and they don't practice one-upmanship and they have a very short memory and a long fuse. But unhappy families practice scorekeeping and one-upmanship and lack of forgiveness and they have a short fuse and a long memory and don't tread on them. And anger rules the day and distrust and suspicion and hurt feelings. And Christ came to destroy that type of attitude. And so if, if I'm to be a person whose heart overflows with thanksgiving, I've got to see sin for all of its putrid nature as it really is. And I've got to say, God, by your Holy Spirit, release me. He didn't come and die on the cross and experience the beatings from men so that our families could be racked with unforgiveness, a lack of kindness. And scoring rights and wrongs. He came to set the captive free. So, 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 so thirdly, if I'm to have a heart of worship, I've got to have, understand that there is a mental and emotional wholeness that proceeds from submitting to sound teaching. Listen to verse 12. A man who wants to worship will go to the wise. There's verse 14. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of the fools feed only on folly. I love that verse. The, the, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. In other words, a man who has understanding realizes, I have understanding, but there's more out there. Give me more, Lord. Teach me more. Lord, I've got your word. I'm reading it, but let me have deeper understanding of your word. Let me get in your word. The heart, the heart of, uh, of the understanding seeks knowledge. God, I'm, I'm not content to be just where I am. I want to know more. I want to know more of your character, more of your grace, more of your power. Whereas the fool feeds on folly. The fool just feeds on folly. Whereas the understanding man, give me knowledge. I was thinking about this and I've read morning and evening yesterday, Spurgeon's little devotional that I just love so much. This is what Spurgeon says. This is a great way of putting it. So picturesque. He says, doctrines held as a matter of creed or confession only 
are like bread in the hand which ministers no nourishment. He says, you know, just saying I believe in God the Father Almighty without thinking about what that means is like holding a great delicacy of nutritional value in your hand and not, not eating it. Doesn't do any good. He says, but the doc- doctrines accepted by the heart is as food digested which by assimilation sustains and builds up the body. In us, truth must be a living force, an active energy, an indwelling reality. We may judge of the secrets of the soul of men by the manifestation of their conversation. <laughs> the doctrine, teaching, the word has to be an active force. It must be energy and indwelling reality that changes us. Now, just and then I read Psalm 119. It says, verse 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing makes them stumble. I thought Psalm 1, he's, the, the, the godly man is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields his fruit in season. Whatever he does prospers. Leaf never withers. Or Psalm 119, 97 and 98 says this, how I love your law, O God. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. It's with me. I think about it. I meditate on it. I think about it. I think. I think. Then I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I think, I think about it. I think about it. I, I have more understanding than my teachers. Because your commandments or your testimonies are my meditation. So, you, you think, so if I'm to be a man of worship, a man whose heart overflows with thankfulness, I've got to understand that, that there's soundness and there's hope in, 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 in teachings that flow from the throne of grace as compared to fools feed only on their folly. Sometimes I'm around people and all they want to talk about is their paleo diet or where they work out or some variation of keeping up with the Kardashians. They have the spiritual depth or the intellectual depth of, of a birdbath in Arizona in August. It's pitiful. It's pitiful. And I just thought, feed, fools feed on folly. They never had had a, a deep thought since Ronald Reagan was president. You go, good grief. Deliver me from this body of death. I mean, you just... Fools, listen, fools feed on folly. Do you feed on the word? Or do you feed on the last thing you read on some website? The latest news, the latest, the greatest. Then it says this, that if, if, I'm to be, if I'm to be a person of worship, I've got to understand that the presence of the Lord and the fear of the Lord is the summum bonum, or the greatest, highest goal and good of my life. It's the summum bonum, uh, highest good. Listen to Proverbs again. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord, the reverence of God, the worship of God, than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love abounds than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Or as the psalmist would say in Psalm 84, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God 
than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Or as Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Do I realize, if I'm to be a thankful man, a worshiper, do I realize that the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God is the summum bonum of my life? And, and do I live that way? Does my heart cry out for the mercy of God? Do I, do I realize, like Proverbs 18 says, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, a refuge. The righteous run to it and they are safe. The name of the Lord, the worship of the Lord. Do, do I realize what Proverbs 2 says when it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, if, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you seek it as silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and then you will find the knowledge of God. Do I realize that's important? Church, I want us to be a thankful, worshiping, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-indwelt, go-forward people. And that happens as we take these things to heart. It happens as we run to walk with the wise. It happens as we understand the devastating effects of sin. And so we confess it and flee from it and run from it. And when we blow it, we run to Jesus and we say, God, I don't want to be here. It happens as we understand that, that sound theology, sound teaching, gives me hope and gives me a sense of, of right living as I take doctrine, not just in my hand, but as I drink it down. It happens as I understand that, that the fear of the Lord, the reverence of God, the worship of God is the highest goal of my life. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, stop and uh, thank you that the Bible has been given to us. And thank you that by the Holy Spirit, the Bible is understandable. And we thank you these Proverbs that were written thousands of years ago that speak to our hearts today. We, we thank you that a man of Worship runs to the wise. We thank you that a person who has insight uh, sees the horrid nature of sin and sees that sin crushes the spirit and weighs the heart down. We, we thank you that we see and understand that Truth received and digested and thought about and meditated on makes us people who are continually changed by the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that the knowledge of God and the reverence of God is the highest good of our lives. So, Lord, work in us, and may we speak the reality of Christ to our contemporaries. Thank you that you came, Lord Christ, to break the cycle of family dysfunction. You came to take away anger from the spirits of, of angry people. You came to take away scorekeeping and uh, substance abuse and whatever intrudes in our lives. Lord, you came to deal with that. So we want to run to you and, and pray, Lord, that we'd be changed by your Holy Spirit. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that, that Thanksgiving is the overflow of a heart 
that is mesmerized by the goodness of Christ. So as we enter into this Christmas season, Lord, may the strong reality of Christ ring in our lives. Ring in our lives. For we pray in the name of Jesus, our Messiah and Emmanuel. Amen. Thank you very much.